0: Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA Benchmarking Study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA Benchmarking Study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello, and welcome to the RA Edge podcast. This is Mark Bruno, the Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect, and I am incredibly excited for today's very special guest, Brian Hamburger. Brian is the founder, president, and CEO of Market Council Consulting and the Hamburger Law Firm, one of the most well-known people in the space, one of the smartest people in the space, and one of my favorite people to talk to in the wealth management industry. So, Brian, thank you very much for being here today. appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. You know, it can only go downhill from that intro. <laughs> <laughs> it just might. It just it might. might. <laughs> you never I, I Honestly, I couldn't think of a better person and a better for the discussion that we're going to have here today on the RIA, po- RIA Edge podcast. We have, you know, for the better part of the last year, had essentially CEOs of large RIA firms, you know, very fast growing RIA firms on the RIA edge podcast. And we've started to transition to bring in people who are you know, consultants, experts with you know much broader views across you know not just one firm, but obviously hundreds and in some cases thousands of firms. And over the last couple of months, we've had more and more conversations just around this battle for talent. And there was always obviously a high level of competition in the town in in the RAA channel for talent, but it seems like it's at an all-time high right now. Um, and Brian, I'm very much looking forward to getting your point of view and your perspective on what's driving that. But before we do, while you are very well-known, would you take a, a minute just to orient our listeners, those who may not be familiar with the you know, Market Council and the Hamburger Law Firm, and talk a little bit about how you're specifically working with RIAs and other types of firms within the wealth management industry?
1: Uh, sure, Mark. It's always easier to talk about myself and the work that we're doing here. Uh, for the last 22 years uh our anniversary was just uh, just recently in the beginning of uh of this this month. Uh right. we uh yeah 22 year for 22 years we've been working uh, within the independent wealth management space uh working with uh, existing or would be independent wealth management firms and other investment advisors on all sorts of issues uh, throughout their entire life cycle everything from considering the startup of a new RIA to Going forth with a with a full-scale business launch to growth-related and protection-related issues such as succession, eventual MA, and and of course, any type of disputes or risk mitigation measures along the way. Then we have an affiliated consulting firm uh, sitting next to uh, our law firm. Called Market Council Consulting, where we work with we work with firms and help them manage their ongoing regulatory compliance. Uh, and as you know, Mark, we also um, run an entity called uh, Market Council Productions that uh, that's well known for hosting uh, the uh, uh, kind of the seminal event come year end uh, for independent wealth management firms, their service providers, and uh, leading journalists to assemble and get together before we all break for the holiday season.
0: And it is one of the top conferences in the industry. I am very happy to say I've been to many, participated in several, and look forward to it every year. So look, looking forward to it at the end of this year as well. Uh, but let's you, get sir. right into it, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I mentioned before just the level of competition for talent. I personally think, and a lot of other people think, it's at an all-time high in the history of the industry. But we'd love to get your take. So where do you think we are now? How would you describe the level of competition? And what are some of the unique driving forces behind it?
1: Well, so by all measures, uh, the overall labor market is tight, but no one needs me to tell them that. I mean, uh, earlier this morning, I saw that uh, private sector increased increased their payrolls by 500,000 new jobs. But there are some frothy trends with, within that overall. Um, staff are really looking to participate in the current economy, right? It's not just business owners who are looking at these numbers, but they're looking at uh, at the current economy in, re- I think, really two headline issues. One is wages, Uh, And the second is work environments. And sometimes employees feel that they need to change their employment to change their employment. And as an employer, I'd like to think that that's not universally true, but it seems to be one that is uh, a view that is widely held. What's more interesting, however, are the dynamics uh, that are occurring within the executive ranks and and the management teams uh, within RAs. You know, independent firms within the RAA space finally have both the will and the way to attract experienced talent from some of the largest blue chip financial institutions out there. Uh, and for them, pivoting their skills to succeed in a smaller organization is really going to determine whether they can add value uh, that they need to be successful. Uh, it's it's a really a different environment altogether, one with far less resources, probably a lot less support than they're used to. Uh, a greater focus on personal accountability. And we've seen some really well-educated, credentialed and highly experienced professionals just fall flat in a more entrepreneurial environment. uh, And others have taken to it as if uh, they were just natural uh, fits. So I think we're seeing a lot of dueling forces within what undoubtedly is a very tight labor market, depending upon what level of employment we wanna hone in on. So, just an interesting point that I wanted to pick
0: up on for a second. You're seeing because there's been this idea that there's a talent shortage in the wealth management space you know, for years. Um, you're actually seeing from other parts of the financial services you know, sector, the you know, talent coming into the wealth management
1: industry. Sure, sure. So you know take a look at uh, business development organizations, you know sales, look at uh, look at marketing. Uh, take a look at uh, at heads of product at uh, at large firms, and they're being recruited to the executive ranks of these independent firms, primarily acquirers and roll ups who are looking to uh, really build a substantial and scalable platform. You know they're significantly smaller than the firms that they are hiring away from, and that's a trend that seems to be accelerating over the last couple of years. You know, I've seen bits and pieces of that, so I'm glad that
0: you mentioned it because, I mean, it, it it's always tempting to want to draw attention to something you think is a trend um, before it's a trend. But you know, I've definitely seen people, and you mentioned the roll-ups, that actually leads me to my next question. I've seen people coming into the industry from you know whether it's investment banking uh, or trading, um, and you know, filling some of those types of roles, you know, especially on the the uh, sales marketing business development side. So that actually sort of leads right into the next question I have for you. Um, we've talked about a lot of the M&A activity that is really reshaped and is redefining the RA industry on this podcast. I'm curious from your perspective, what role talent acquisition is now playing in some of the M&A activity that is taking place in 2022 and some of the activity that may take place across the remainder of this year? Oh, wow. Well,
1: I, I mean, I I will, maybe there's a bold statement, but I would say that most outright acquisitions are actually being fueled primarily by the drive to acquire talent. Uh, The revenue streams that they're acquiring have really become a substantiating factor and have led to some of the valuations. But a lot of the acquisitions we're seeing out there, when we really sit down and talk about their thesis for the acquisition, they talk about uh, the opportunity to pick up Several talented people, all in all, in one shot, taking the trend a bit further. Uh, rising wages, declining revenues—right, revenues that are tied to maybe a declining market—are compressing margins, uh, and therefore uh, they are having a negative impact on uh, on valuations. But uh, of course, demand remains really strong for high quality targets, so that's having an offsetting effect. So we're seeing the net valuation of these firms remains strong, even though the components that uh, that comprise them are, are different. And the last thing I'd say, Mark, is I think the market's definition of an attractive target has shifted over the last decade or so. Acquirers are less interested in well-run firms, firms that are hitting certain benchmarks. They're far more interested in the underlying talent, specifically the talent for attracting and retaining New business and and clients specifically, uh, that that seems to be at a shortage, and and is really what's driving a lot of the M and A activity in the space. And that wasn't the case ten years ago.
0: No, it's completely different. Um, it, you saw ten years ago, even you know, three or four years ago, the acquisition was driven by succession, and it was driven by you know, growth. It's just add assets to the platform. Um, if you got talent, that was just sort of a bonus. Right now. I've had several people say to me on this podcast, and a number of other people agree with the statement that it's easier to acquire talent than it is to hire talent right now. That's right. Um, so I, I really appreciate you know, your perspective on this, and I don't think it's a bold statement at all. Um, So I, you know, I, I actually would like to dig into that. If you're you're seeing as much acquisition as we've seen, there's also obviously a lot of recruiting that's going on. It doesn't necessarily always or involve you know, a straight acquisition of another firm. It could be just picking up a team. You have so much exposure to <laughs> things that go right and things that go wrong. Um, I am curious, when you look at the firms that are the most effective at acquiring and retaining talent, what are they doing right? And of course, on the other end of the spectrum, what are the firms doing wrong when they're not successful in hiring or keeping their best people?
1: You know, that's a really interesting question. You know, the what I've noticed is that the best firms out there aren't taking this challenge head on. They're, they're really looking for alternatives to full-time human capital as the fuel that they're using to grow their firm. Uh, so they're looking at resources such as uh, outside uh, independent contractors, uh, outsourced service providers, uh, technology automation, all to make their employees more productive, more efficient, and more, uh, more valuable. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you have firms continuing to hire and pay market rates they're increasing their physical space allocation and they're shifting budgets away from, from other resources. But you know, if the pandemic has left any lasting lesson on business, it's that the ability of a small business to harness its nimbleness and really embrace change management is going to be far more impactful than whatever the challenges we're facing on any particular day. Yeah. It's uh an incredibly unique time
0: right now. You mentioned before, just at the executive level, some of the talent that's coming in. um, You know, I think if you're somebody who's been in the RIA industry for a while and you've grown your firm, you've doubled, maybe tripled, quadrupled in size, you've added talent, you've made acquisition, it is an unbelievable (laughs) and and unbelievably complicated time to be the leader of an RIA firm. Um, So I'm sure you run into that every single day um, and hopefully listening to podcasts like this that's who we're connecting with um and that's who I hope you know we're providing some really strong direction education and
1: guidance to one well, because, topic because Mark uh, yeah. you know there used to just be a couple levers to pull right yeah. I mean you know there there wasn't uh, an awful lot of inputs and outputs to uh, a service business uh, such as running uh, a small to mid-sized wealth management firm you know but now uh, the the calculation has gotten infinitely more complex um and you know here we're talking about well how to address rising wages well you know one of the methods is not to deal with the wages at all but rather to turn your resources away from human capital and look to other ways in which to make the existing people you have there more valuable and which which is really interesting when you see it in motion and i think that i think that for some people change just comes naturally for other people it is incredibly uncomfortable and over the course of you know the last couple of years, we have seen the uh, the, the shift of good fortune tilt towards those who can embrace change uh, and really be very very nimble uh, with respect to all of these inputs and not behave in the manner that simply society expects them to uh, or their clients expect them to, but really just be open to looking at things differently. Yeah, I appreciate
0: yeah, your your comments there as well because I think you've seen so many people over the last several years who've had to make a choice. Uh, Do I want to continue to advise? Do I want to manage money? Or do I really want to be a professional manager? And the things that made you successful in this space are not necessarily the things that would always make you successful as a professional manager. Um, So I think the RIA channel in general has gone through a, an amazing period of you know, professionalization um, and still is. And I think your firm has probably had a lot to do with that behind the scenes. But uh, I do want to make sure, you know we've touched on wages a little bit, but I wanted to spend a minute you know, maybe getting into a little bit more detail there. Um, I used to obviously do the benchmarking study, looking at compensation and staffing. Haven't done it in a couple of years. I feel a little far removed from what's going on, but it wasn't that long ago that we saw base and incentive pro- packages for advisors, right? Not just the CEOs and the managing partners, but lead advisors were going through the roof. I'm, I'm curious with all this competition for talent, what's going on right now? So how do you think the competition has influenced not just compensation levels, but the structure of compensation plans for advisors and key individuals within RAA firms?
1: Hmm, well, You know, rising wages and uh, overall human capital expenses, as we mentioned before, are are decreasing net profits. And so firms are allocating higher wages towards recruiting, but then they're immediately facing similar challenges for the retention of talent. Right. It's as if they didn't realize that that what they were going out there marketing for and advertising, that their existing employees weren't going to ask for something similar. Yeah, the right Um, side. Yeah, we're we're seeing a lot less discussion. Strangely, you know, I'm always uh, so I'm always a student as to what we're not hearing, right? The, the you know the absence of uh, you know of some of the the speaking points, and we're seeing a lot less discussion about equity, uh, about career path, and uh, and culture as really employees are shifting resources to address. Inflationary wage pressures and younger generations seem less attracted by this employer-provided lifestyle and future promises. Right, the you know when we look out at these younger employees, they're infinitely clear about their boundaries and their their drive for balance in their life. Uh, they're looking for a workplace environment where they can learn, get paid, and really unplug from when when they're off duty, uh, which is which is a really stark difference in what we've seen uh, a few years ago. And you combine that with falling revenues from declining markets, you got a bit of a storm at the moment, you know, which is why there's so much attention in this area, right? It used to be, you can go to uh, a younger, uh, inexperienced group of talent and lure them with promises of a career path, with promises of riches at the end of, uh, you know, of the rainbow. But, uh, but these new entrants are saying, well, that's all well and fine but i need you to pay me now and uh and it's created a very interesting dynamic i think
0: yeah it's uh it feeds right into the almost the sympathy i have for the <laughs> professional managers that we've been talking about i want to get paid really well i want to be able to go dark when i want to go dark right um and i want to get paid right now. Uh, That's it, right. It is not an easy environment, but you know, I completely understand you know, uh, the way you've described the landscape here. There isn't a tremendous amount of talent available. You do need, if you've been growing year after year after year, to maintain similar growth rates, right? Even in a market where, you know, even where, where equity markets won't provide so it is definitely a completely different <laughs> industry than it was in the beginning of the year in many respects um and certainly you know from where we were a year ago when we first launched the RI edge podcast um i do want to end on the subject of m a you know we've talked about m a activity quite a bit on this show um but you know i would like to kind of get into some aspects of it that nobody ever really talks about um so we know that there are is a headline just about every day about a new deal in the RA industry, right? It's been that way for several years, but we very rarely hear about what happens after the close. Um, with a couple of years you know, behind us now and hundreds of deals that have closed, yeah, I'd love to get your take on one sort of really simple question: How successful are most of these deals? Um, and if they're successful, you know what makes them successful, and if they're not, what typically goes wrong?
1: But we could do uh, an entire session at a conference. Oh, probably. an entire day. (laughs) we might. uh, might. And I know we don't have that much uh, that much tape in the reel. But uh, (laughs) listen, I I can't watch this answer with just a really broad response because it it really does depend. Uh, Too many deals are being fueled by record valuations and not because. It comports with the founder's vision. They're coming to us because they're reading the headlines, they're reading the, re- the MA reports, and, and they're saying, you know, well, I-, I want part of that. And, you know, it it often leaves me scratching my head because I say, Well, we just talked about this a couple of years ago. And you told me about your long-term vision and your plans. And you told me about, you know, your eventual internal succession. It just doesn't seem to to drive. Unfortunately, too many sales. In the wealth management sp- space, are still driven by some type of immediate need, right? It's the it's the immediate declining health, it's it's a promise that the founder may have made to uh, to their spouse, or or just a sudden distaste for management and supervision that they just want to get, you know, they want to free themselves from. And so, too many of these decisions are being made uh, far too quickly, not part of a plan that positions them to sell at maximum value and then continue to to, to drive value to that uh, that organization. You, you also have a lot of minority investments that are going on that on the whole yeah. are, are quite frankly going really badly. Um you know they're they're selling a, a sliver of their firm. They're often giving up far more control than what they sold. Uh there are often uh, a lot of conditions and uh and handcuffs and uh they're quite limited as to the market for the remainder of the firm that they didn't sell, right? So it's often that the acquirer of the minority uh, position maybe has first look or right of first refusal, which just on its own is going to preclude others from participating in, uh, in a bidding process. And, and, you know, you've got this, um, uh, you also have the outright acquisitions of firms where the founder was really only an entrepreneur because when they became an RAA, they couldn't find a suitable home. And the space has grown since then, right? We talk about ten years, but you know, you go back even twenty years, the f- space has grown since then. There are far more options now, and that may have changed. Those are going well, right? When we have these outright uh, acquisitions, typically experienced acquirers are coming in. They focus not only on the deal, but uh, but making sure that they get integration correct. That those deals, on the whole, are uh, are going better than one would uh, the one would probably expect. It's the, you know, it's the minority deals that um uh that that tend to regularly go sideways, uh, or the, the ones that are sudden decisions by the founder to go ahead and sell without uh, you know, without much of a runway and without much of a plan. Yeah. It's uh it- It's very true
0: that you and I could probably do an entire session at a conference or a workshop on this, and we just might at some point, but uh, (laughs) I I couldn't agree more with what you were saying just around the immediacy. Um, It'll be interesting to see how the rest of this year plays out too. Not that deals get done overnight, right? Um, They obviously take months in many cases, but with the markets dropping, I'm hearing that there are a number of firms that are actually looking to sell because they don't want to feel like they've missed out right on some of the incredibly high valuations right
1: that have defined m&a activity for the last several years. Yeah but here's so, the unfortunate thing Mark. Uh, the unfortunate thing is you know you will be peppered with those that have successful or what appear to be successful deals no one who has executed on on an unsuccessful deal or one that they're not satisfied with, no one wants to talk about that, oh, right? It's this dirty little secret, right? No one issues press releases to say how poorly this integration is going or how they regret, <laughs> you know, selling a small portion of their firm a few years ago because now suddenly they can't hire their son or they can't change their office space because there's these conditions or, you know, I mean, you name it, right? We've got, yeah. you know, we have 26 different conditions that we just took out of a recent contract for a minority investor who is trying to effectively take control over the firm. We we, we could probably do a workshop on this, but that's that's for another day.
0: <laughs> yeah. And also, I think we could probably put together a decent press release on April 1st, right, uh, about an announcement of an unsuccessful deal. Um, I yeah. love that. <laughs> so I'll come back to you on that. But Brian, thank you very much for stopping by the Our Edge podcast here today. I think we touched on you know some really important subjects that we don't talk about enough. Um, we do talk about M&A all the time. But to get your take on you know the battle for talent, you know, what you can do to win, right? What you can do to lose is you know, really, really important. It's critical information. We appreciate you spending some time with us and our audience here today. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. It's always a pleasure to stop by. All right. Well, Brian, again, we appreciate you sharing all of your thoughts and perspective with me and with the RIA Edge audience and on behalf of the entire team at wealthmanagement.com and Informa. I'm Mark Bruno. Thank you very much to everybody for listening here today. And we look forward to having you all back on the next episode of the RIA Edge podcast. Take care. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA Benchmarking Study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA Benchmarking Study is just one of many ways They provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.